It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. This is the Vice Guide to Right Now, a daily rundown of all things Vice. It's Thursday, March 22nd. I'm Chris Hurdy. Today, we're talking about the relationship between guns and video games with our in-house gaming expert, Waypoint's Austin Walker. But first, the headlines. Following back-channel negotiations with the government, 91 of the 110 Nigerian schoolgirls who were kidnapped by Boko Haram last month were returned by the militants. One schoolboy was also released. The statement did not address the status of the girls who remain unaccounted for. A man whose own party has called him a Nazi has won a GOP primary in Illinois for a seat in the U.S. House of Representatives. His name is Arthur Jones, and his campaign website includes a flyer that calls the Holocaust the, quote, biggest, blackest lie in history. Jones ran unopposed in the state's third district and claimed the victory after previously running and losing five times before. Even though he ran without an opponent, more than 20,000 voters cast their ballots on behalf of Jones. And according to the latest undercover video released by Channel 4 News, Cambridge Analytica's CEO was caught on tape saying that the company's Facebook scam helped elect Trump. And now, here's the news you won't get anywhere else. After the Parkland shooting, we watched as President Trump backed away from pursuing any meaningful gun control legislation. And yet, he found time to point fingers at a familiar alibi, video games. He set up a meeting with members of the video game industry where he argued that violent video games may have contributed to the mass shooting. Suffice it to say, our friends at Waypoint, Vice's gaming vertical, have a lot of feelings about this. And they're facing it head on. Every day this week, Waypoint is digging into the relationship between guns and games. Here's Vice's Sophie Kazis speaking with Waypoint Editor-in-Chief Austin Walker. So Austin, you open your article with two arguments. The first is pointing out that video games as a cause for violence in the real world is sort of a form of scapegoatism and really just a distraction from real issues at hand. And second, that you at Waypoint firmly believe that games do not lead to direct violence. But You follow up those two arguments by saying that this doesn't mean we should avoid completely exploring the relationship between guns and video games, but really the opposite, that we should dive headfirst into the messiness of this relationship and really engage with it critically. So let's start there. Will you break this down for me? Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, the thing the thing that comes up so often when there are terrible incidents of of mass violence where there where there are mass shootings is that you have uh people in in positions of political power or people in media positions uh or people in in kind of moral uh positions of moral authority pointing for anything except for guns uh, as the as the scapegoat here. Um 
today, uh, right now, I think the, the the biggest one is probably not games, but is but is mental health, and and I of course think that America could do better uh, by by those who who have issues with mental health and who who need support. But but that is like the number one scapegoat. But Trump was not satisfied with that, and also decided that video games would be uh, for for the events of, of Parkland. That oh, we should we should look closer at video game violence, um, and the science just isn't there. The science says that there is that there is uh, increased aggression after playing violent video games, but that's a fleeting thing. And the science also says that people can become desensitized to video game violence from playing video games, but that's only to video game violence. It's not desensitization to all violence. The science just doesn't support the sorts of claims that, that Trump makes or that others have made uh, in, this, in this industry for a long time or you know, in America for a long time. But that doesn't mean that as critics and as fans, we shouldn't treat the medium of gaming seriously and think about and talk about and investigate the relationships between guns and games. And I, you know, I don't think that it's a thing that you should only do with games either, right? I think that there is a great conversation to be had about the relationship between you know, the military-industrial complex and Hollywood movies also. And thankfully, critics and, and, and reporters have done that work. And kind of the, the, the plan for this week for us was to do the same, but for games. And I, I've seen a lot of people say, like, well, why do that? Like, what is the reason to do that? If you don't think that games are causing violence, why dig into that at all? Doesn't that just give credence to, to the people who do say that? And, and my answer is like, no, because the people who do that would be so radically misinterpreting the sorts of criticism we're doing and the sorts of reporting we're doing um, that it would be uh, on its face such a, such a clear misrepresentation as to not be effective. But, but two, because I think that this sort of um, investigation, this sort of, of criticism actually can encourage people inside of the medium of games to push themselves harder to, to make stories and, and games that they wouldn't otherwise do. We had a report done uh, today, a report ran today from, from our managing editor, Daniel Riendo, uh, about a, a developer, a game developer, a game programmer, who plays through games without ever firing a gun. His, his family was thankfully not harmed, but was you know, threatened in a, an act of, of a uh, mass shooting. A, a random person in a parking lot just started shooting in a bunch of different directions, and his wife and his two kids were nearby, and one of the shots came very close to hitting them. Um, and then later, they were involved in another incident with a gun, and he just, like, can't bring himself to play those those games anymore. And, or he can play those games, but he doesn't, he doesn't ever use guns. You know, he plays through games like Call of Duty without ever firing a shot. You know, he tries to play through games like Grand Theft Auto without ever firing a shot, which can be very <laughs> challenging. These games made where uh, violence is supposed to happen constantly, gunfire is supposed to happen constantly, and it's cheap, and it's easy, and it's repeatable. And one of the questions she asked him was like, well, would you ever make a game where guns were a part of the equation? And he said, you know, if I did, it would have to be a situation where the single act of pulling a trigger could change everything forever. And that's the sort of attitude that is the sort of thing that can push a, a medium forward and help explore new spaces with it. Once you start taking uh, into consideration the elements of storytelling and the elements of the form in a more serious way, you can start doing really creative things. And you see that in film, you see that in music, you see that in, in fiction, and I'd like to see it in games. You plan to end your article, which at the time was sort of just an introduction to Waypoint's week-long exploration on guns and games, kind of there with what you just talked about. And and then something happened in your personal life, and you decided to push your article further to 
dig in a little deeper and 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 give us something really personal with what you wrote. If you don't mind, would you talk about where your article went after you received some of that personal news? Yeah, so um, it, it's one of those like really dark ironies of, of life. I had begun writing this piece um, in the middle of the week last week. Um, just note, like I was like, oh, here are some ideas I need to put put down on paper so that I can introduce what this feature is, what this ongoing series is going to be. And it was just supposed to kind of be a, a loose introduction that would go up alongside another piece that would kick things off. And on Saturday, in the middle of literally sitting down to write this note in, in a more formal way, uh, I got a text from my mom. I actually got a call from my mom, uh, and and she was she told me that my aunt Pam had been had been killed in what looked like a, a, a murder suicide. And uh, my aunt Pam is not my biological aunt, but she's like I think a lot of people have someone in their lives that they think of as like an aunt or an uncle, like people who are like around around them in a real important way uh, in their youth, who kind of either through proximity or through um, their their constant presence, took on a certain role of being an additional parental figure or an additional family member. And Pam was that for, for me in a big way. Uh, my mom is a poet and Pam was part of, my mom is a poet and my mom is, is, was part of a kind of a big circle of poets and Pam was one of those poets. And so I grew up going to Pam's house after Taekwondo practice and, you know, having her babysit me and like being one of those people who I, I came to understand what adulthood might look like through, you know, and here I was writing about this, writing about games and guns, which I think is super important. You know, we're trying to get this series together ahead of the March for Our Lives on Saturday. And I received this news about real gun violence that took someone from from me. Um, and it, it made me realize, like, I couldn't just... My plan had been, I can just do the introduction and let the, the pieces from the Waypoint staff and from our freelancers speak for themselves and speak for me in a sense, right? Like as the, an editor, sometimes you don't have the time or the, the space to, to gather your own thoughts and, and do your own writing on the topic. Sometimes you're so busy editing other people's work that that ends up taking the, the, the foreground and ends up t- taking up the, the bulk of your time. And so what you do is you try to speak for yourself through story selection, through finding stories that explore a topic that you don't have the time to explore yourselves. But, when I received word that my Aunt Pam had been killed, you know, through gun violence, it felt cowardly of me to not try to step up to the plate and try to work through some of my own feelings on how guns and gun violence are represented in games directly. And so I kind of tried to dig in and, and work through not just how guns are used in games currently, but how they might be used, how violence is used in media in general and entertainment in art in general, and how I think games are currently lacking in that regard. And the long and short is gun violence in games is cheap. It's, it's a button press away. It's forgettable. It's not particular. It's not specific. You kill dozens of people without ever having uh, any sort of understanding of who they are or, or not even who they are, but like they exist to be shot, right? 
if you've played Halo, if you've played, uh, if you if you played GoldenEye, like you, it, even if you don't play games now, you know what I mean. You kill a lot of people in video games. You you kill as many people as holes you jump over. You kill as many people as as doors you open. Um, and in fact, you probably kill more people in games than than you open doors. For every door you open, you probably kill at least three or four people. <laughs> and that is frustrating because in other forms of entertainment, in other art forms. Killing and violence can be so important. They can move a plot forward. They can provide catharsis. Moments of violence are, are often moments of great characterization. Uh, and in games, moments of violence are you know a thing you do while you're on the phone with your friend. And the death of someone close to me helped bring that into perspective because I started thinking about how particular deaths are. How, how violence hurts in very specific ways, not in this really abstract way that games represent violence as, you know? Does that make sense? That makes complete sense. But where does that leave us? What do we do with that? It's complex. Like, I don't think you go out and stop playing Halo. You don't go out and stop playing Gears of War or or Grand Theft Auto. I'm not like, this isn't a call for censorship. This isn't a call to ban violent games. Or for you, it's not a moral judgment on people who do. There are lots of games that I play that I think have serious, morally bad implications, but that fulfill some personal need. They they offer some, some brief escape. But what I do ask and what I try to do myself when I go into games like that is as a player to be very critical, to acknowledge and, and engage with the, the medium the same way I would anything else, right? Like in film, we understand the difference between like a really schlocky action movie and like John Wick, right? Like, oh, wow. Like John Wick kills lots of people 100%, but there is something to the craft of those films that elevates it. Uh, and we understand how that is then separate from... You know, a, a movie like The Godfather, in which there is not a lot of gun violence, but when there is, it really matters. As audience members, we have the language to talk about that stuff in film. As readers, we know how to talk about it in books. I'd love for you as a video game player to think about how violence comes up in games like Zelda, how, how violence comes up in, in games like Gears of War and Halo and Grand Theft Auto, and, and like develop that language by talking about it. And And that is a thing that you can do as a player yourself without having ever touched anything else. But more importantly, I think what we should do is try to find those people who are making strides in this space, who are trying to challenge the norms of how violence is portrayed in games and support that work very directly. You know, I'm I'm very happy to say that like where games are at today is is much different than where they were at five years ago. You know, five, ten years ago, there were not many people who had the ability uh, or the tool set to experiment and make small independent projects. But today, you can have games that are tackling issues like this directly made by a couple of people, made by a small team. What are some of these games? Can you describe them? Totally. So like one game that, that we're covering this week, we're, we're doing a, uh, a profile on the team that made um, a game called Receiver that came out a few years ago. In most games, pulling a trigger is as easy as clicking a mouse button or pushing a button on your controller. But in Receiver, literally every step of firing a gun is, is kind of mechanized, is turned into a button press or a series of button presses. And it makes you understand how complex and scary scary guns are even before the trigger is pulled and the entire process is like on one hand it looks like 
fetishization of guns because it's like everything is so detailed and so and rendered so clearly here is the receiver of the gun here is the slide here is where the magazine goes in but the process of playing it is so bewildering uh so surreal in a weird way that it it changes your relationship to the gun or i i in, in the piece i actually specifically shout out a game that isn't about gun violence explicitly but Amy Dentata's 10 Seconds in Hell, which is a game that you can play through in 10 seconds. You just go to Google and search for it. Uh, that is about domestic violence. It's about the 10 seconds before an abusive partner gets home. It doesn't show any violence. There's no explicit depiction or description of the, the abuse that happens. But it is so deeply concerned with the knowledge that violence is about to happen and the fear and panic that sets in around that. Those aren't the only games that do that. And I, I don't want to say that like stuff in the in the big budget AAA, you know, super big video game space couldn't do it or hasn't done it here or there because to do that would kind of be to let those companies off the hook. And, and so I want to encourage, you know, uh, you to uh, anyone who's listening to to again, when you're thinking about these things, Tell the game developers that you like when they do stuff in this way. Find those small projects. Ask your, your friends who are more into games than you to suggest some things. Come to Waypoint and, and read the stuff that we've written about games that, that do deal with violence in different ways and support the, the creators who, who do that stuff. And not just violence. Obviously, we're talking about violence here. We're talking about gun violence, but it's the same thing across a, a number of issues. You know, there was a time when you couldn't imagine a game digging into, you know, LGBTQ issues. But, but now there are lots of games that do that. Thank God. There was a time when you couldn't think of a game digging into issues of, of depression or, or uh, mental health. And like now there are lots of games that do that in that independent space. And so kind of keying yourself in the way that the same way that you would for music or independent film uh, or, or anything else like it's right there you just have to do a little bit of digging and and you'll end up being so much more fulfilled uh, than if all you did was play whatever the big release was that year so that those are my two things that you can do right now so what can we look forward to from waypoint this week what are some of the articles that are coming out about guns that that help us sort of navigate how messy this conversation really is. On top of my piece, there was the the one on, on race and gun rights and how that's popped up in video games. Um, again, we had the piece on the, the person who plays through games pacifistically or, or without any gun violence. We had a really great piece from, from uh, Patrick Klepik, our, our reporter, on a company that consults with game makers and explains how guns work. And that was really interesting because it, it let you get in the head of the people behind the process that brings these like major guns into into games and and that seems like such a mundane thing but it's very telling of what the ideology is there and, and kind of what their perception of the world and guns are you know there was absolutely a moment where this guy who by in his day job what he does is he goes to big game companies and says like oh here's how here's how this gun is supposed to look here's how this gun is supposed to work you know, said, of course, I have thoughts and prayers for the people at Parkland. And it's like, ugh, like, wow, like, you really just walked into it. We have another piece coming out later that's, I think, really fascinating. Um, it's one of the ones I'm most looking forward to this week, is about the rise of the AR-15 as a rifle, as a, a popular gun, along with the rise of 
gun customization inside of games and kind of customization in general inside of games at the same moment in time in in history the same kind of moment in in our contemporary lives because they kind of mirror each other in this weird way one of the reasons the ar-15 as a rifle is so popular is that it's very modifiable it's something that uh, a gun owner can take and customize through additional kind of um purchases right they can go buy a different stock they can go buy a different site different you know magazines different all sorts of customization options it's a it's a kind of a tinkerer's gun and as that was happening in real life video game guns also started to become more like that um, in in games you started being able to add your favorite site or or customize it with a paint job or add a different trigger and that became a, a sort of um, calling card of a certain type of game and so we have a piece kind of investigating the confluence of those two things uh, coming out later this week and then we also have a piece coming out that is a kind of a, an extension of, of the letter that I had that continues to kind of dig deep into what this core relationship is between guns and games why is it that so many games just like begin and end with a trigger like why why is it that that games at a fundamental level are so interested in guns more than anything else you know games could be about anything for for as long as there's been people there's been people playing and as long as we've had any way to write something down there have been rules there have been games um and for you know war has always been part of games since since the kind of the earliest versions of chess from india there have always been war games it's not a new thing by any means but in in the world and history of games there have also been games about farming and games about city planning and games about trains and a billion other things but in video games the the bulk of them the bulk of the ones that succeed that are kind of the big ones are about guns and um it is it is an interesting thing to try to to try to uh, peel the peel that history apart and kind of dig into why that might be so we have a piece on that coming also uh, i'm very excited for for all of them and i hope people come check it out to read austin's full article go to waypoint.vice.com That's it for now. Thanks for listening. And tune in again tomorrow for another Vice Guide to Right Now. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.